You're listening to The Fashion Detour, presented by J-Tribe. So I'm very excited today because we have a special guest. His name is William Bauer, and he is the owner of Royce New York. How are you doing today? Good, excited to be here, so thank you so much. No problem. First of all, I wanted to congratulate you on getting the Royce New York boutique on the main floor of Saxon's Avenue. That's thank you. A- you know, um, it, it's something I never could imagine in a million years, um, but thank you. So for those who may not be fully aware of your brand, Royce New York, can you describe the brand and the accessories you sell? Absolutely. So we've been a, a fourth-generation uh, family business originally from Vienna in Austria, um, and we've always prided ourselves um, on hand craftsmanship, but at the same time, uh, making the point of focus on our clients' names, not ours. So. It's always been about bespoke personalization, um, even in my grandfather's time, uh, whether it's been company logos or, or something um, you know, specifically created to the individual from monogramming um, their initials, their name, or anything in between. I mean, essentially, it's up to the client's imagination, but that's always been our focus rather than highlighting our brand name. Um, and it's only been the last couple of years that we've really pushed ourselves to being at the forefront of fashion retail. Um, as typically we had always focused on corporate business. But essentially what we create are um, items that are essentially executive essentials, things that make for seamless travel. So from passport cases and luggage tags um, to toiletry bags and cosmetic bags, things that larger brands may not necessarily focus on because the kind of scale and frankly, it's just not nearly as glamorous as you know a several thousand dollar handbag or wallet. Um, but that being said, the things we make are highly functional. Um, they're things for everyday life, um, and they're super giftable. And I think that's always been our focus is that what we do helps celebrate people, um, the high points in our life from birthdays to bar mitzvahs to wedding anniversaries and anything in between, just given how thoughtful um, a personalized gift is. Yes, and I think it's definitely good that you have a niche and that you're, you know, you have a specific path so that you know it's it's pretty clear you don't get you don't get lost definitely exactly yeah so yeah for sure tell, tell me a little bit about your family history and your great grandfather's legacy so my great grandfather joseph um admittedly wasn't a leather craftsman by necessarily passion it was more out of just sheer necessity it seemed to be that's what he was best at um at making leather shoes and, and small accessories um wasn't overly successful just enough to put food on the table um and this is back in vienna starting in the 1880s um his son my grandfather jo- uh my grandfather eugene um took over the family business or the family craft i should say um and expanded it into something that was much more bona fide legitimate in the sense that you know, there was a retail store and there was, you know, full-fledged production. Um, and so we enjoyed pretty solid success um, in the 1930s up into the early 1940s um, in Vienna uh, before he emigrated to the United States uh, during the Holocaust. Well, so he, your grandfather, had more of a passion for what he was doing. Correct. I, I mean, I, I think he realized, um, you know, there was a lucrative opportunity um, and I think he was just honestly much more business savvy. Um, yeah, I think he just had a clearer vision for the company than that. Really, my my great grandfather did. 
also think my great grandfather probably gambled away a lot of the money as well. So he just wasn't the kind of he just wasn't the kind of business person um, that my grandfather was. Um, and I think that that carried on um, to my father when he eventually took over the company. But it was certainly difficult, you know, to come to the states and being inc- to enjoy success in your home country, and then come to New York City and be incredibly humbled by essentially poverty and you know having to speak a language that he barely could. Um, you know, he spoke wow. German and, and Yiddish, and so to go from that to having to do in English and, you know, a completely different environment, um, I think it was incredibly humbling for him, and the fact that he didn't have the money, he barely, you know, could survive in New York, let alone think about having a, a business again, so to be, you know, a dishwasher and to, you know, be a stock boy at Model was, you know, these are things we can, I mean, obviously he was happy to be alive, I mean, you have to keep that in perspective, but at the same time, um, you know, it was certainly incredibly humbling, and I think that that's where I try to derive a lot of my strength from when adversity hits um, in my life, both personally and professionally, is the fact that what he underwent, like, what I, versus what I have to do with every day, it pales in comparison. So that's humbling for me, is to always harken back to what my grandfather went through. Um, and so, yeah, no, that's the kind of motivation that, that fuels me every day. It's certainly not by money. I mean, you don't go into this trying to make, you know, a ton of money, and it's not overly lucrative. Um, but carrying the torch, just as my father did, you know, in my grandfather's memory, I think that's the most important thing to me. It's that kind of pride, you know, for tradition and love for family that motivates me to do what I do. It's very powerful. Um, the story definitely resonates with me. My grandparents came from Hungary. They, you know, survived the Holocaust. And my grandfather owned a grocery store for many years in Brooklyn, New York. Also, my husband's um, grandparents also went through the Holocaust. And they actually had a deli on the Lower East Side. So I don't know if they, <laughs> they ever ran into uh, they ever met, yeah. But um, so, so what made your grandfather and your father have this renewed interest? Was it, you know... I think, familiar, I, I think it was a familiar. I think was a. I think was a familiar. It stemmed from a familiarity with the product concept and you know, manufacturing. This is something that they knew well. Um, it just took a lot of community support. You know, whether it was loans or um, you know referrals and connections and networking. Um, but I think that this is honestly the only thing my family knows I do. Like I sometimes even wonder if I'm employable elsewhere because since I'm 27, from the time I was 16, this is all I've done my entire adulthood. Um, is work with you know leather and manufacturing and how to market and sell it. Um, so I think I mean my father didn't didn't go to college. My you know, grandfather, this is what he knew, and so eventually when he was able to scrape enough money together, and my he had my father working for him at a young age. I think this is where it was, where he was. My father realized I should say um, that this was his calling as well. Um, you know when you see your parent work so hard for something. It would be you'd be remiss not to want to join that effort. Like there's just there's something very inspiring um, to see what my dad was able to accomplish with not that much. Um, and so for me, you know, it made me realize that you know, with all the incredible education and whatnot that I had, it certainly made me wonder what we were capable of. You know, once I took over, um, and now we're starting to see the fruits of that labor. Um, but I think just like me, I think my father as well, just fueled by pride more than anything else. I mean, especially when you see what his father had to undergo and, you know, was still willing to work his way back in and fight the good fight. You, know, you want to be part of that. Like you, it just, I think it just really resonates, you know, with your, with your son when 
know, you embody that kind of strength. Yeah, and it's that that work work ethic and the perseverance. Um, and were there struggles? Like I know you said, you know, he had to get the funding together, and but do you? Like, how did it go from, let's say, for your dad, what were his struggles, and then what what struggles have you faced? I mean, for both of my, I think the biggest struggle for my father is not having um, an education, I feel like only having a high school education. I think that was probably the biggest limiting factor. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I was fortunate enough to, you know, get a degree in applied economics and, and an MBA in marketing. So for me, you know, being able to utilize what I learned puts me in a far better position um, to succeed in. Yeah, my my father did. I should say, but both my parents, you working together, did you know modestly well, and you know that allowed me to be amongst you know a higher socioeconomic group than they had access to growing up, and I think that allowed me to make a lot of connections and learn a lot, you know, just culturally. Um, I think those learning lessons that along the way is what enabled me to be better in sales and marketing because of all those experiences and people that I met along the way. Um, so I mean, that was probably his biggest challenge. I mean, both their biggest challenges is just the lack of you know, cultural knowledge and education. Um, you know, you can be ambitious, but there's only so much you can do if you don't know the right strategies. I mean, you can work hard, whereas they probably don't work as hard as they did, but I certainly work a lot smarter. But that's right. not, you know, an indictment on them. It's just, you know, I was fortunate to have access to what they didn't have, and they're the ones who made that possible. Yeah, and uh, but it's in- well, it's good to know because sometimes I feel like what you learn in school, you can't, it's very broad and you can't necessarily apply it. So, <laughs> I mean, I at least that's how I felt and I, I got my undergrad and my master's um, and I just feel like you learn so much on the job. So, I don't, but it's, it's good to know that you, it does, it, obviously, there, it does take you far. It does help. Um, but, uh, so, can you describe the process in which your leather bags and goods are made? Yeah, so we used to make everything a either in well first on the low waist side, then flat iron. Um eventually the company grew to a point, um and you know, who we were starting to change over time. So much of it did get sent overseas and we actually still work with the same factory now that we've been that my father and my mom have been working with now for close to thirty years. Um you know, when it's not like, you know, we got passed off to somewhere else in the sense that we go there several times a year back then. I mean, my father trained them themselves. I mean, not that they weren't already skilled labor, but trained them to keep that craftsman um, and like having that, that close attention to details that had always been part of, you know, our, our family's way of doing things um, to, to really emulate, you know, what our, what our product should look like, whether it's made in New York or whether it's made um, in China. And so, or even back in the day when it was being made in, in Austria, um, now we've gotten back to that um, in the sense of making things here again. So for Saxon Avenue, we have a collection of American alligator and embossed, embossed crocodile, small other goods um, and accessories. And so it's nice to be able to bring that back home um, to where we started here in New York and literally bring my grandfather's vision to life. Yeah, so you're saying part of it now, um, a specific part of it is made in New York? Or in America? Correct. So we're trying. Correct. So we're trying to bring more back here, and it's, honestly, the difference in actual craftsmanship is so negligible. Like, if I gave you two products stores, one made in China and one made here, you'd be hard pressed to discern the difference, just given how well we've trained and fostered our teams on both sides um, to make virtually identical products. Um, the only difference is maybe the material, and of course, the fact that it was made here. 
um, you know, here where you're using high-end lizard and, and alligator and crocodile uh, for merchandise for for Saxo Avenue and for your know, Lux celebrity clientele um, who are very discerning and expect the best of best. So, not you know, as an indictment on our other products, you know, that are still full grain American leather, but it's nice to be able to have that clientele now that we never had before. You know, who will pay for the Royce name and and pay for a much higher priced uh, product. Yeah, and I mean it does. You know, part of that is those products are, you know, um, part, you know, it, that whole thing with the, you know, with fast fashion and, you know, when you, it, it is, it is more expensive, the products that you're making here. Um, but I don't know how to say that, you know, I don't know. I guess I don't know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going. No, 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 no. I, I actually, I, I know where you're going with it in the sense that, it's a. It's nice to not be part of that fast fashion, and, and frankly, what we make is not trendy. I mean, I'll be. It's contemporary and it's elevating and it's functional, but we don't try to be trendy. Much of what we sell two years ago, or forty-six years for that matter, is the same product. You know, we haven't. You, you don't really reinvent the wheel as it pertains to a passport case or luggage tag or keychain. Um, I think we've prided ourselves in the fact that we do something well, we do it right, and we stand by it. Um, people continue to come back to the same product. It's always a pleasure when people email me back, you know, saying that 10 years ago they bought a Royce wallet. Um, and now it's finally time for a replacement, but that's who we are. We're not trying to keep up with trends, uh, whether it's color or style or, you know, the way we brand ourselves. The branding will always be super subtle. Um, the craftsmanship will always be there in terms of quality and, you know, durability and longevity. Um, we just don't subscribe to doing big marketing. We don't subscribe to, trying to be someone we're not. And I think that that kind of authenticity and knowing who we are goes a long way, both in terms of business model and also how people perceive us. Yeah, and um, just um, out of curiosity, the personalization process, is that something that you do in the store? Let's say if I go to the Saks Avenue, the boutique that you have there, do they do the personalization there? Or do you send it so that's, a, that's the So that's the best part. Um, I think that that's why Bloomingdale's and Sash Avenue enjoy working with us is, and where we differentiate ourselves from every other brand for that, or almost every other brand is that when you buy from us, it gets monogrammed. The monogramming is complimentary, but most importantly, not only do you get it the same day, you get it virtually on the spot. I mean, of course, during you know Christmas and Hanukkah, we have pretty long lines in, in our stores, but for the most part, um, you'll get it within five, ten minutes of purchase. In many instances, you'll literally watch it being done in front of you. And I think that that immersive experiential aspect that forces people to literally come to our stores rather than buy online is part of why we've enjoyed so much success with these department stores. It's because they love having a shop where people can't do it online. Um, they have to like literally come to the store to witness, you know, this bespoke personalization firsthand. Yeah, I must come down there one of these days and and watch. So please do. I love definitely. It's it's cool because like it's not just maybe a couple of years ago it was just make people thought of monogramming and think of like putting a couple of gold foil initials on our product and that's still you know the majority of what we do. But it's nice that in our stores people can get pretty whimsical putting like their Instagram handle or, or their nickname or you know emojis and symbols and astrology signs and they can do it in virtually any color foil imaginable. Um, I think, and then the fact that for sex, we, you know, we can take someone's handwriting or, or drawing and we can imprint that on a product. I think that making it very, very customized and very, very specific and bespoke, um, resonates particularly with my generation who want to be exclusive and have something very Instagrammable, um, and something that no one else has. I think that's where the focus is. And 
while yes, companies that make very ubiquitous products, you know, like Uniqlo or, or Zara enjoy much success, you know, things that look, you know, pretty universally standard. That being said, I think what people love about us is the fact that it's so different and so individualized. It's like when they get a product from us, it's something that no one else has. Um, like no other customer will have the same combination of initials and color and all that on that product and to be so unique um i think is what gets people coming back yeah and you said so if if i had a drawing you could actually put that on one of your pieces yes yeah, so, so like if you had a drawing or a, a love letter or um you know one to wish happy mother's day to your mom but like literally in your handwriting we could imprint that on our journal or on our passport case or whatever you'd like um so that way like it really feels personal yeah and is it it's like you, it comes with different fonts and things like that yeah so it comes in virtually anything you want um but it comes in anything you want and frankly like it's just up to your imagination um i think that that's the best part is that when the only limit is your imagination um I mean, of course, there's always a paradox of choice. Sometimes I feel like we give people too much choice and they can't make a decision, which is yeah. frustrating sometimes. Um, but, you know, I, I love that we can make people feel that way. Um, beyond just, you know, helping them give very personalized, thoughtful gifts, I love allowing people to really be able to express themselves. Yeah. So how would you describe your daily work day? There, I wish there were, <laughs> there were no two days. I, I wish I had days. Um, I wish I had days that were more similar. It would make balancing my personal life, which has basically basically non-existent at times, more manageable. But um, I mean, I feel like I start at 6.30 in the morning walking my dog and looking what came through, um, either from Japan or London, um, the night before, from the factory the night before. Um, and my day, frankly, does not end until like 11 or 12 when I finally shut down. Um, it always ends, I always start my day and end my day with a walk with my dog there. That is the one constant that I swear by. Whatever happens in between could be anything. It could be at a client event in Costa Rica and I could, or I could be, you know, just in boring meetings in New York. Um, I wish, like I said, I wish there were more days of light, but that being said, I always try to start and my dog. He's like my therapy, the most therapeutic thing I could ever ask for. I, I could, I completely understand. I recently went to a puppy farm and it was very therapeutic. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. I mean, like there's the kind of affection and, and fantasy just, you have to let go. Like at some point, like I could honestly work forever and still not get accomplished what I need to get accomplished. That said, um, you know, it's important to wake up refreshing and go to bed with, um, you know, some semblance of tranquility. Um, yeah. and fortunately my, my little dog named Royce, a little mini Labrador, he, he provides that for me. Aww, that's so cute. Would you ever make him a collar or something like that? Yeah, so he, yeah, so he does have a, his own collar leash. So, so for sex for holiday time, we have a, a custom dog collar and leash combination coming out where you know clients can put their dog, um, or, well, their phone number, dog's name, a paw print emoji on it. Um, and that's something we're doing exclusively for sex. Just because I think in New York especially, there's such a, and myself included, like we put dogs on a pedestal. I think for that very reason, you know, just given like that affection and unrelenting loyalty um, that's so hard to find these days. Um, yeah, given the importance of dogs in New York City society particularly, you know, they're very excited about the kind of success we'll have with that dog collar and dog leash. And so, fortunately, my dog has been the guinea pig for months now, trying different <laughs> leathers and different styles. Um, so I have like a full closet full of dog collars and leashes for him. That's too funny. Is he going to be on the website? I'm he should be. I mean, I, I, he's on the. I mean, when I posted on Instagram 
about him. I think that's gotten like some of our most like Life. highest engaged posts. Yeah, I think like there was one with like four thousand likes, having a picture of him in the warehouse on a box. You know, just like sitting on a box in the warehouse. It's really cute. Um, how I mean for me, I. I never had a dog before, and before I got him uh, towards the end of last year, and so it's, now I get why people love dogs so much. I, I didn't understand the hype before, but now I truly get it. Yeah. So what do you do when you have a problem or a challenge? Do you have a mentor, or who do you go to for guidance? I'm very lucky that I get that I have my parents, um, and they've experienced some of the same growing pains um, that I have in the business. And so having them to, to look to makes my life way easier um, to have like, that kind of veteran presence and you never feel like you're doing it on your own. Um, so I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, you're definitely very lucky. Um, a lot of people that I've spoken to in this process have said that that's one of the main things if someone is going into the, you know, opening up a business or becoming an entrepreneur is to have a mentor. And you have you have two, so. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm already double as lucky. And, and the best part is that they've, they've seen this happen. You know, they've gone through it themselves. Um, I think that's the best part <clears throat> is that they can identify with what I go through and the challenges we face better than anyone. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's where I'm particularly grateful is to have those kind of insights. Yeah, and I think you spoke about this before a little bit in terms of the, well, nowadays technology and social media. It's such a big part of the fashion industry, and you kind of see how the brick-and-mortar stores are having difficulty. So, and which, you which is ironic because this is, this is where we're having the best growth and success in the company is by having brick-and-mortar presence. It's very interesting. Um, yeah, that, and then, of course, it's because now experiential marketing is, um, so pervasive. Um, but you're right. Like at, at a time where brick and mortar is struggling, um, you know, how you adapt and the challenges we face are very different than what they face as well. Um, and so on one hand, they're able to put a lot of insight as to some problems in the company, but other ones are problems they've never faced before because they never had to deal with, you know, digital marketing or social media. So how do you, why do you think that it's, you're, you're doing so well at the, at this point despite um, others' struggles, I guess. I think the problem is that most brands, well, I think there's two things. One, most brands fail to connect with people on a, on a personal level. Um, and yeah, big data and all that is great, but we, I mean, if you like, read reviews on, on Google or, you know, we see what the kind of things people comment on our Instagram page, like, we really know who our clients are and we take the time, even if it prevents us from scaling more, our focus is on client retention, garnering loyalty, having a genuine connection with our, with our clients, whether they buy one piece from us per year um, or the other a million dollar corporate client. I think it's important for us to be accessible at all times, to see them as a relationship and not a transaction, um, and to genuinely express interest in who they are and not just see what their you know customer value is in terms of dollars. Right. So that's interesting. In a day where, in a day and age where you know you think that there's so much, there's a lot of uh, there's like a lack of you know communication and everybody is just you know on their phones typing away. There still needs clearly to be that connection 
that you're describing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and even if it means we don't make as many sales or acquire new customers, I'm fine with that because the kind of loyalty we have both in our stores, I mean, the number of people who I see coming back or I hear from my from my retail teams coming back week after week as like their go-to gift source. Um, you don't really need that many customers. You just need customers who, who appreciate what you do um, and understand that you're willing to go to bat for them every day and you're easy to work with. I'd rather have fewer customers, but customers who recognize that and they're loyal and they, they you know, reward us with their loyalty than just trying to reach the masses and just, you know, have one-off sales and they don't come back. Yeah, and please excuse my, you know, I don't have such a um, great knowledge in terms of, like, the business side of things, um, but I do, you know, I, that, that does make a lot of sense. So what I'd like to know, how, how would you describe your personal style? Oh, my personal style is awful. In terms of, at least from a, from a fashion perspective, I, my friends don't understand how I work in fashion, yet I have a very minimal... It's funny because they think, oh, you dress... Ed-, like, I think clients think I dress edgy, but it's actually just laziness. In terms of wearing jeans, a, a concert t-shirt, and a blazer to, to meetings at most, and frankly, half the time, I'm probably the worst dressed person in the room. Um, but I will say this, and not that it's really a justification, but... I've always tried to be my authentic self, for better or for worse. It's not who I am to wear fancy clothes. It's not, frankly, I'm just not even that comfortable. I mean, I mean, if the occasion calls for it, then I, I do it. But I'm a very simple guy. I, if I could wear jeans, a concert change, and Chelsea boots the rest of my life, I would be very much okay. Um, you know, I don't try to overrate appearance when, you know, some of the greatest people I've had the pleasure of working with probably almost as poorly as I do, um, but have hearts of gold and are a pleasure to work with. And some of the brightest people I've worked with, um, I think there's no correlation necessarily, even if you do work in fashion, you're between your sense of style and, you know, the kind of business or, or fashion acumen you have. Yeah. Um, and do you incorporate any of the Royce New York accessories into your look? <laughs> Oh, you know, I only use it. It's, fun, it's so funny when people, like, I mean, they have the best intentions. People give me stuff from, because I do work with a lot of brands in terms of providing monogramming services for them. And so when people will gift me stuff, whether it's, you know, bags or a belt or a wallet or something, you know, I end up just giving it to an employee or, or to a friend for, for their birthday or something. Because at the end of the day, I've only, even from kindergarten, I've always, I've always used voice products, whether it's a backpack or a binder or a, a journal. I mean, I, was, I think I was ahead of my times when I was eight years old with a voice leather backpack. But, you know, I only ever represent my brand. I mean, I take immense pride in what we do. Um, and it's always it's always great to have essentially samples on hand when people, you know, end up meeting someone randomly and spontaneously. The fact that I have always a monogram backpack, a monogram wallet, a monogram journal on me. You know, people can always see what it is that I do. And frankly, I think it looks good when you take such pride and you don't need to, I mean, I can afford other products, but it's just because I, I love what I do and I love the fact that I can represent our brand every day. Um, and I'm, it's the greatest feeling when my friends, um, you know, use, my, use and wear my products as well. Yeah. Um, and is there, and what's your, I mean, do you, is, what do you carry on you every day? Is there anything specific from the Royce products? So the new alligator wallet that I made for, for Sacks, that's currently in my pocket. I have a, a tech organizer case in my backpack um, for like all my cords and like just random accessories. I have the backpack itself. Um, I have a journal with my handwriting on it, so I always had that as a sample. 
Um, I even made like a little leather case for like my AirPods. Um, yeah, even like the small, like even the smallest, like anything. We, I swear, I can make in leather. I've made in leather. I've made wine carrying cases and poker sets. Um, you know, as gifts or, or things like that. Um, but I always have, try to at least have three to four voice pieces on me at all times. You know, my keychain. Um, I'll even have like a sample of my backpack from this huge project I did for the Super Bowl this year. That way, you know, when the moment happens so randomly and spontaneously, that I can show people an example of what the monogramming looks like, what you know, what our corporate logo looks like, people we've partnered with. Um, yeah, that's, it's come in handy more often than I can even recall. Um, and at the end of the day, I think people would question why I, I use, would use other brands' products, knowing full well that you know I make virtually any leather, leather good I could possibly think of myself. Yeah, that's that's true. So you're plus, like, oh, you're plus a there's no representation. Plus, <laughs> exactly, I'm walking representation, and frankly, it's the best way. I mean, there have been times I've used products and I've found flaws in them by using you know by using them, and so it's a great opportunity as well, you know, for beta testing in terms of when you live the products yourself, you find flaws with your keychain or you find flaws with the luggage tag strap or you find um, issues with the zipper on your backpack, things that, you know, if you're out of touch with your own merchandise, you know, these are preventable client problems. Yeah, and it's something that, so you could really, you, you really, you're really testing it in everyday life, you know, day in, day out. So you definitely get to see that firsthand. So does seasons, or I know you said before that, you know, trends and seasons, they don't really affect um, what you produce. Do you, you know, see? we try, we go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I say, well, you see, like, I mean, we have to be somewhat aware of, of color palette. I mean, during the fall and winter, we'll make some of our products available in like burgundy and hunter green again. And for the fall, I mean, for spring, we'll focus more like on the lighter palettes, like you know, silver and, and, um, and blush pink. But for the most part, we're very lucky because we position, well, we are a leather accessory brand. We position ourselves as, uh, you know, a source of gifting rather than, you know, something that changes by the seasons. And so year in, year out, you know, you need a passport case or, or you know, you can, a gifting a passport case or luggage tag is like such a simple, you know, controversy-free gift, you know, something that's ubiquitous and, you know, universally applicable. So we try to focus on things that are unisex, applicable for virtual ages um, and lifestyles. And the products aren't overly contemporary, but they still look good, of course. Um, but we try to avoid, you know, appearing overly trendy because we like sustaining that timeless aesthetic. Yes. And, well, you do have some, you know, uh, like a messenger bag type um items and you know would you ever consider um doing like color blocking or things like that i mean i know that that's not you know or if somebody wanted it made that way is that a possibility so we have done color blocking occasionally that's only when it's been like a client request for like let's say a couple hundred card cases or uh passport cases or you know totes then we've mm. done color blocking but it's always difficult. Um, but we've even tried, like, even on the small items, like two-tone stuff before, and it's just easier from, like, both an inventory management perspective and just, you know, marketing and, and, and whatnot, like, to keep it very simple, um, which I realize is not the most exciting thing, but we've always stuck to a core color palette of four or five colors, um, and it works. And, you know, while you want to have something for everyone, we also have to understand, like, our own cash and inventory limitations. Um, and so, yeah, well, I wish I could do more. Um, for me, being business-oriented is equally, if not more important, than the, the fashionable elements of it. Yeah, and, 
your items are classic. So really, like you said, they're seasonless. It's not, you know, you can wear them, use them forever, hopefully. <laughs> or, or, you know, or, or maybe whatever it is, five to ten years. So what do you think in terms of the fashion industry, even though you guys are a very classic and kind and of brand, yeah, yeah. Do you feel like there's any room for growth just in general, like from your perspective overall? Yeah, no, I mean, there's definitely room for us to grow. I think part of it means delegating more and giving up some control of the actual business itself. Um, which is hard to do. Um, but you know, I have a great team and I think that I need to be able to let go more and give more responsibility to them so I can focus on, you know, garnering big lucrative projects with e-commerce platforms or, or stores that I've wanted to work with for some time. I haven't had the resources. The second one is Target at 1598 Flatbush Avenue, Brooklyn. The third one is Target. No worries, you're good. One second. Hello? Oh, I'm here. Oh, one second, one second. Don't no worry. Uh, Maishi, this thing is going off here. Oh, oh, okay. I don't know what just happened. Maybe I was Google decided to start talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Okay. But um, continuing on, where do you get your ideas for the thoughtful gifts that you have, like your chrome-plated manicure set and the cigar flask set? How do you get these ideas? So mainly they're those ones are not mine. And those are all my dad and, and so I, I have to give hats off to him for being way more open minded about gift ideas. I mean, like the wine carrying cases and the you know, the golf shoe bags and um poker cases and a lot of these like grooming sets. Frankly, he was way more ambitious and imaginative than I was. Um and frankly, a lot of what we sell now, um, is probably boring by comparison. I mean, for me I enjoy selling Probably 10 or 12 products of ours is what I sell most of. I mean, it's always the same business card case, luggage tag, passport case, small toiletry bags, small jewelry, um, travel case. What I like to sell is very boring versus what, you know, my father introduced, you know, 30, 40, 45 years ago. Um, so I really don't have that kind of creativity. I, I focus on more, you know, standard business essentials, um, and like very, you know, easy gifting. But that being said, like his imaginative things are really what round out the, the collection and, and make us stand out more. Yeah, and it's it's funny because there's like a you know usually the 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 young person I don't know maybe I'm wrong but <laughs> no usually the young person is the one who's imaginative and yet I'm the one who's more risk of like risk averse and conservative as it pertains to merchandising. Okay, it's a it's I guess it's a personality, but it's good to have a balance. Yeah, I think so. I'm sure. Yeah. No, absolutely. It's good to have balance. And no, you're right. I think it's just a based on what I've seen. I guess based on what I learned in business school, and it just doesn't make sense for me to try to make something for everyone. Um, I've always tried to focus on what our core competency is, and you know, really market that. Uh, but that being said, it, it is nice to have some of his ideas still incorporated in what we sell today, um, because that's what allows us to be distinguished and stand out more. Yes, and. I, I don't own a wallet, and I hate to admit it, but I wish I was more organized. What product do you recommend for someone's organizationally challenged? So you have, and this again, not mine, this is, this is his, um, but it's still a signature part of ours today um, and does exceptionally well, particularly at Bloomingdale's. It's this four-zip um, travel pouch. So it was, it was originally made when people were going to Europe and needed different currencies before the euro was created. Um, but now, 
Uh, that is six credit card slots, and, and that's the only thing that's changed in 45 years. So it's got four different colored zipper compartments. They're all separate. Um, so some will use it as a handbag organizer, you know, put their receipts and credit cards and cash. Some will use it as a travel organizer to put their different currencies, their passport, their phone. Um, so that's like the ultimate, and it's a recent price. It's $100. It's all in, you know, beautiful cash and leather. Um, but that does exceptionally well for us um, because it's like that. It's not a wallet, an organizer. It's like in that interesting, you know, middle section. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's done incredibly well for us. This is something very different than people typically see. Okay, that is good to know. I, I walk around and just everything is floating around. And um, <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've lost things. And, I, you know, it's, it's definitely not a good trait. <laughs> something I'm working on. But... <laughs> I will check out that organizer. So for the future of Royce New York, what goals does your company have? So admittedly, a lot of the goals we've already surpassed. I think Bloomingdale's was the goal and Saks I never dreamed of. What my goal is less money-wise, more about like, the company ethos and values. So I think what I never want to lose sight of is how we got this far. Um, and that's, that's something I constantly you know, hammer home to our retail team and the people who do like our client events, um, the importance of not forgetting how we got here and never losing sight of that sense of humility and gratitude and knowing that, you know, amongst these all these big time luxury brands that be proud of the fact that we're the one New York based local family business in Saxon Avenue and, and, and Bloomdale. That is the greatest, you know, honor that you can have is to not be owned by, you know, a big luxury conglomerate and to, you know, be self sufficient and I never want to lose sight of that or lose that. You know, the fact that my family has, you know, full control of the business and doesn't get any outside investment or help. Um, the fact that, you know, we just constantly reinvest the profits back into the business and, you know, just take out a modest amount for ourselves. Um, and that there's no shame in being a small business and be proud of all that we've accomplished to keep it going after four generations of this tradition. That, you know, maybe we don't have the biggest brand name and don't do an incredible amount of revenue, but to be profitable, and to do right by each other and to do right by our clientele, I think that's the most important goal of ours is to keep sustaining that. Well, you are, you're really lucky and I, it's, it's amazing what your family has done and accomplished. And I wanted to say thank you so much for joining me and, you know, taking us through the process and Thanks again. I really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. You know, I'm, I'm very grateful for the opportunity. So thank you so much. Just wanted to say thank you so much once again to William Bauer for joining me on this week's edition of the Fashion Detour. And now we are on to the fabulous Five Fab Vines. As you know, they can all be found on my website, www.thefashiondetour.com. And the links to all the items of the FFFs are on the website. Okay, let's go. The first outfit, no, actually dress, I should say, is from Macy's. It's Lauren Ralph Lauren. And it's a great floral print peasant sleeve belted jersey midi dress. And what I love about it is it, it's in a plum, like a deep plum color and it has blush colored flowers on it and it's perfect the sleeves are you know 
past your past your elbows, they're three-quarter sleeves, it's a midi-length dress, it's a comfortable dress in the jersey fabric, and it's just like one of those no-brainer dresses that you can't go wrong with. You could wear it on Yentif, you could wear it to work with like a little like low Chelsea, you know, booty. Um, so yeah, totally a go-to great chic dress. Now, let's talk about the second five fab find, which is from H&M. And if you haven't seen them yet, the these teddy coats, it's actually really, really comfortable and really, really cozy and cute. So anyway, um, H&M has a short pile coat and it's the teddy coat style. It comes in a cream color, which I absolutely love. And I think it's so versatile that you can wear it over any of the um, full colors, like the jewel tones. And it's just like a great neutral coat to have. And I just love the style. And it also comes in a dark, like... Um, you know, rust color, which is also really beautiful. So check out H&M's short pile coat. It's really super duper pretty. Okay, the next item on the five fab fine list is the Babaton Weston skirt. And you can find it, sorry, at Aritzia. So Aritzia.com has amazing styles and one of their items is the Babaton Weston skirt. It's a pleated midi skirt and it comes in the cider gold color. It's super duper pretty. It's a pleated midi skirt with a paper bag waist. So if you're looking for something that you're not going to see coming and going, then this is definitely the skirt for you. It's made with a matte satin fabric that really drapes beautifully. And what I love about the skirt is I could definitely see myself wearing this pleated skirt with the H&M teddy coat. So there you go. Boom. We've got an outfit right now. That's awesome. So again, check out Aritzia for their Babaton Weston skirt. Okay, let's keep going. We got to get to our, what are we up to? We did, we did the Macy's dress. We did the H&M coat. We did the Aritzia skirt. Yes, now we are up to an amazing accessory from Pixie Market, our five fab number four. So Pixie Market has this silver chain choker necklace. I love it because it gives that little bit of edge to your look. And automatically, even if you're wearing the simplest button-down shirt, you wear this chunky silver chain link choker necklace over it, and you're automatically funked up the whole outfit. So I just love that idea. You could wear this choker necklace over a with a cardigan, with a crew neckline sweater, with a turtleneck, and it's so, so chic. So definitely check out Pixie Market's silver chain choker necklace. Now we are up to the fifth five fab find, which is from ASOS, and it is actually a 
uh, skirt. Um, and it's from their plus size line. And it's called, it says, Fashion Union Plus Wrap Midi Skirt in Ditzy Floral. And I love it because it's a green floral, which is super on trend right now. Um, and you can, like the model's wearing it with a cream sweater. You could wear it with a camel color turtleneck and nude, nude pumps and totally elongate your figure and your silhouette. And you could also wear it with like a blazer and make it, you know, make it a great item for, you know, for work, for, you know, holidays. You know, it's such a pretty skirt. I love it. And I just love a wrap skirt. I don't know why. There's something about it that's just like fun. You know, you get to tie it where you want to tie it. Um, and there's an ease to it. So again, ASOS is, ASOS has a fashion union plus wrap midi skirt in a ditzy floral. And yeah, all the five fat finds can be found on my blog, www.thefashiondetour.com. I hope you guys have an amazing week and enjoy. Enjoy.